G'day and welcome to the Fly Fisher Podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fly Fishers podcast. Uh, today we're joined by Scott Xantalakis of Wilderness Fly Fishing to talk fly fishing the Goulburn River specifically. Uh, the Goulburn, of course, is one of the harder rivers to fish in Victoria. Uh, so we thought we'd chat down, sit down and, and chat with the expert himself and find out a bit more about this mysterious river. Scotty, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And uh, good to be back at the shop. Yeah, it's looking better than ever. <laughs> ever since you, you left, left mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, you know, things are put away, you know. It's very relaxed here, actually. Like, you walk in and you, just, you say beer. Yeah, I remember when I used to work here. It was like we never saw unpack beers. that. No time for beers, but I, I like this. <laughs> you I like missed it a lot. that by about five minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, a beautiful shot. We yeah. start earlier and finish earlier too. That's I like it. I like it. Um, but the Goulburn, mate, you've been, I guess fallen in love with this water, right? In in more recent years. In more recent years, yeah. Um, I fished it ever since I was you know younger. You know, in my late teens. But over the last ten years, yeah, it's certainly been. One that I've put a lot of focus in, yeah, and like you said, it's it's technical and hard, and I, I like that now. Yeah, with my fishing overall, whether it be freshwater, saltwater, I'm after something that's hard, and and the trout and the goldman are difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so do you reckon that's the the attraction for you? You know, like the small stream stuff is obviously a, a bit of a constant, but um, you know, maybe that 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 challenge of of the goldman is what really draws you to it. Yeah, I think it's what draws most most anglers to the Goulburn, especially fly anglers, because of um, you know it is a like a hatch base based fishery. Yeah, uh, very driven where your, your small streams quite opportunistic feeders. Yeah, um, you know flies sometimes don't matter too much. I won't say that because it's bad for the industry for your industry, but but um, <laughs> buy but more flies, <laughs> buy more flies for the Goulburn. Well, that's yeah. that's the truth, and and the, and when we run our courses and our guide there. A lot of people do open up their box and straight away I'm thinking you haven't got enough flies in there for the, for this river, you know, enough. Yeah. And we'll go through that later, I'm sure. But, yeah, it is a, a technical river in terms of flow rates, the cha- you know, the changing, the dynamics of it. It's a large, large body of water, which some people get overwhelmed by that yeah. large body and, and don't know where to search for the fish. Yeah, so it's an overall challenging fishery and oh, I love it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, the you know, let's just maybe talk a little bit about the Goulburn and the makeup of the Goulburn and and, uh, and flow rates, you know, like how that river might vary with different flows and why those flows actually vary. So what causes the, the water to go up and down? Why, why does that happen in a water like the Goulburn? Yeah, it's, a, um, it's, it's purely irrigation, really. So um, some people call it an irrigation ditch. I don't like to call it that, but it is. It's run by Gold Murray Water. And it's uh, purely through demand of water. So generally, it's what we call a reverse river. You've got, you know, high flows in summer yep. and where our smaller streams are dropping. And then we've got low flows in the, you know, the autumn months and then back around early spring. So if there's no demand for water, they turn the switch off and it can be low. So it's, and we can take advantage of those water, water flows. Like, you know, if, if we're having a hot stretch in summer, 
yep. we're going to hit the goal and we know it's cold, you know, icy water. And it's a tail water, meaning it's released um, from the bottom of Lake Eildon, which is great, and it goes through the pondage. Um, so it's coming at icy cold, and that's why there's a few hatcheries around there. It provides yep. excellent quality cold water, yeah. Right. So is there a noticeable temperature difference between the pondage and the lake? Uh it's coming straight out of the bottom there, so it's it's icy cold. So that yeah, it's a I guess that's why the, it's a great fishery in itself. The pondage yeah. there, it's icy cold water, and it it's almost can be a flow through. Really, it's just it's just coming out of the lake, flowing straight through. And as you know, the pondage is very short, so mm. it's almost a part of the gold in itself. It flows straight through an icy cold, um, and we'll go through. I'll go through a. Yeah, I'm so, a bit old school with phone numbers and things like that. We'll go through Gold Murray Water, which you can find out these yep. the details, which we'll go through yeah, later. But more generally, generally speaking, that uh, spring it's quite low water, and then through the heat of summer, we're finding more water in the gold, and, and then that starts to taper off further towards autumn. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so yeah, and obviously there's a little bit of power generation there too when they're moving water from Lake Yildon into the pondage itself. Yeah. It, um, it, but the I guess the primary demand for that water coming down the Goulburn is for irrigation needs further downstream in the food bowl. Yep, absolutely. Um, so in high flows, uh, what what is it that tends to to happen there with the fishing? Generally speaking, generally yeah. So th- those as you say, those high flows generally. You know, late spring, early summer, we start to see a bit of a rise there in that water level, uh, but particularly high over, over the summer. And so that, high flows, though, like what alarm bell is going in your mind with the fishing? What are you fi- thinking? I'm thinking edges and backwaters straight up. So yeah, which which provides excellent sight fishing. So cool. Very so, New Zealand. You know, walking up the edge, staying well back, sighting the edge, and also looking into those willow holes that form. Yep. And you're looking for fish sitting up high, eating off the surface. So that's that's the draw card of high water levels, yeah. And mostly rising fish or nymphing or... Yeah, you, you can blind nymph the edges, like large terrestrials, like a, a cicada or a hopper pattern. Yep. Nymph under dry stuff, really simple stuff, but keeping those flies close to the edge. But the backwaters is where it's really at, and that's, that's what excites fishing. me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get turned on by sight fishing, yeah, of all kinds. So. <laughs> we all get so turned yeah. on by so Especially you see... And the, I'm turned on now, yeah. but when yeah. there's a trout in front of me. <laughs> yeah. You can certainly see, you know, when you're sighting into those backwaters, you can see some large browns, which is a draw card as well. And it seems to be predominantly browns that find themselves in that those backwaters, which is, yeah, a hell yeah. of a lot more fun. Yeah. So cool. And then, okay, so high flows moving to medium flows, you're more sort of average yeah, flows so would, on the Goblin. Yeah, I'd say that's sort of um, heading into summer, even around now, you know, Flooding with that 3,000, 4,000 yep. uh, mega day. Um, still fine to fish, you know, uh, nymphing. You know, it's a really good option. European nymphing, double nymph rigs under New Zealand strike indicator. Um, a really good level for that that type of... There's still runs and riffles at that level, but they're less. Um, yeah, so we're look really concentrating then and getting at the top end of the runs. The tailouts where we're swinging... Um, yeah, great options for the, for that time of year. And hatches, pretty reliable? Re- reliable hatches, yeah, absolutely. It, and at, at all levels you'll get hatches, but predominantly, yeah, at that, that sort of medium level to lower, yeah. Cool. And then lower levels, you know, through, uh, I guess, the, the cooler months um, that we might see those those lower water levels. What, how are you typically fishing then? Yeah, so that's sort of below 1,500, Meg, yeah. we're looking at there. And uh, I always say if Gold Murray were to ring us up, us anglers up, and say... What level would you like the river to be kept up for fly fishing? It'd be sort of that 1,200. That would be absolutely perfect. Very hatch-driven. All of a sudden, 
they stack more riffles and runs. Um, very hatchy because it's usually at the the bottom end in the tail out season. So when when the season opens and when it closes, there's sort of six weeks either side. Yep. It is what we love as fly anglers. So, you know, May is a great time of year and then even September, early October. So that's those low low flow rates here and that, that that's where it's at. You know, nymph under dry, a lot of technical dry fly fishing, fish eating small mayflies and caddis here. I love it. Love cool. it. Cool. No, that's good. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've given just a bit of a snapshot there as to the kind of fishing you can expect in low, medium and high flows. Um, I want to dive a bit more into the month-to-month stuff. Sure. So as the season opens, first Saturday in September, we're all rejoicing. Um, If you're thinking about the Goulburn River, um, what are you likely to encounter when you get up there and what style of fishing are you likely to be doing? Yeah, so... I'm th- it will usually float around that thousand, like a uh, thousand meg, which is perfect low, weightable across the, the rivers. And I'm thinking straight up dry fly. And when it opens up, small mayflies and small caddis. Um, and you can typically, you can go there and it can be a bit cool still. So they, they won't pop, you know, they, they might not hatch. Um, so nymphing, nymph under dry will still work well. It is a period uh, where Chris, the other, Chris Schrude and myself love to go out and we love, we do love that. European nymphing that time of year it's very accessible and fishable with a European nymph with small nymph patterns so you're not I'm not talking bombing the, the river with you know four mil beads or anything like that yeah I'm talking about delicate you know presentation of your of your nymphs in those riffles and runs and also swinging as well so I'm thinking even swing if it's not happening if they're not rising yeah but generally smaller flies so we're looking at when I mean small 16s yeah I don't delve into 18s. Um, I'll go into that a little bit. You know, I'm sure there's a bit about flies selection here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I do prefer around 16s. Um, yeah. In that sort of even the 14s, but it's the smaller patterns you're gonna you're gonna be fishing. Sure. So generally speaking, higher flows, bigger, heavier nymphs. Lower flows, smaller, more technical nymphs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah. it's simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, and longer leaders. Do you find that the fish can be a bit spooky at that time of year, or it's more they're aggressive because they've been through spawning and they're they're, they're yeah. feeding actively? Yeah, that's that's a good question. At the at, I always break up the river into, you know, the top end, the riffles, the flats, and then the tailouts. Um, so in in the uh, flats there, where you'll find fish rising, I am fishing long leaders, and I'm not a fan of long leaders. Um, I like to keep it short. A lot of people fish long leaders because they're not accurate, so they want to leave room for, you know, if they stuff it up. So, yeah. but, um, but this is one where, you know, long sort of five, six X, um, Tibbets on your nine foot leader, so you could be right out to eighteen feet. Yep. Um, yeah. So you don't spook those fish because you'll find a lot of fish in those flats early season and late, sitting high up in the water column and not going back down. They're sitting right under the foam lines. You can see them sometimes lined up six, seven fish in a row, clipping. So you don't want to spook that one at the top because yep. it's going to it's that domino effect of spook, spook. So you do want to fish finer tippets. but in the top end of the runs and the tailouts, you know, four, five x still there. Will be will be sufficient, yeah. So you can fish a little bit heavier, and we'll go into the fish sides. It's pretty incredible at the, yeah. in the goal. So you do want to think about the fish that you're fishing to, and use the appropriate tippet for the fish that you're fishing to. You know, you don't want to fish for those donkeys yeah. with six X, unless you're using a, an infing rod or something like that. Yeah. So you've mentioned two re- really important things there: um, the fish in the flats that are in quite skinny water, as well as your own infing with smaller nymphs being quite successful at that time of year. Um, it, does that vary by time of day or what are you 
are you actively looking for those fish in the flats? Is it always a visual clue that gives you those fish? Or yeah, abso- Absolutely. Rising fish. So you're going to see rising fish under foam lines in those flats. Yep. Uh, so the great thing about the gold, lots of high banks. So you use that to your advantage. Find them first and then they'll be in every flat. You'll find them in some sections. Usually, sometimes they'll be mid, like midway down those flats or towards the tail out. So just work them out. They're rising and once, and sometimes they're just like, well, you can... They're standing out like dog's balls. You can just see them everywhere. So, yeah. What about early morning? I know canids are a bit of a thing up there. If you, I know you don't get up early. <laughs> He's looking at me going, <laughs> have you ever seen a canid? <laughs> I've seen fishermen go out early. I, I don't know any of them, but no. No, I, no absolutely. The, the canid you know, the, or the scenid hatch um, is, is pretty amazing. It's something similar. I've fished in Montana to the trico hatch, you know, and it is – when they're spent, it is something where you do want that pattern and because they can, you know, wash up in their hundreds so and the fish will be quite keyed in on them. So it's always good to have that pattern in, in your firebox, yeah, absolutely. And September being pretty, you know, cold and then getting warmer as October comes around, do you find the, the hatch activity just increases as the weather starts to warm or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, water temp, you, it's quite cool coming out then. Yeah, so a bit of... If you get a warmer day in September, it's great. It's the time you want to head out. And as it pushes up to October, those warmer days increase the, the mayfly activity. And also you'll start to see more caddis popping off as well. Not quite the snowflakey stuff just yet, but the smaller ones. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Are the caddis a time of day thing or you find them at that time of year all through the day? All, all through the day, yeah. yeah it's yeah. pretty amazing. The caddis will hatch throughout the day unlike you know that summer period where they're hatching right on dark or yep. they're emerging then or in the morning um yeah you'll find awesome hatches mid middle of the day and that's what what i love because like yeah. you said i don't get up early do you think maybe <laughs> it's the do you think maybe it's the sunlight hitting the water and that that heat that generates through the middle of the day that might get those caddis going and that's why it's a bit more through the whole day yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. it's like the the water temp just kicks it might be only half a degree and then bang they're hatching in the middle of the day. So yeah, like most of our fishing early season, we're, we're trying to find the warmest part of the day to fish when fish activity is going to increase and and bug activity. Yeah, so there's no difference really to even a small stream to a, a large stream. Yeah, we want a bit of warmth to get things cracking. Yeah, absolutely, early season. Yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess September, October, maximum flows we might see um, megalitres per day would be what? Uh, you know, max, summer max, you know, 8,000. 9,000 mm-hmm. when it's really pumping and, and I do really love it high and we experienced this season as you know massive flooding um, early season and we saw flow rates you know extremely high you know I think 100,000 yeah. someone will correct me on that but it was bloody it was flooded yeah <laughs> so it was a shitload of water but yeah we we found really good fishing and Chris was the first to brave it and go out at 17,000, you know. So wow. so he just went, stuff, I'm going to go have a look and um, took a client there. And it was little, you know, offshoots, obviously not the main flow, but he was finding fish stacked up in those offshoots in clear water, you know, stacked up. And, and he got he got a bit sad when it dropped from 17,000 to 9,000, you know. So, <laughs> But those a typical summer, yeah, you know, 
seven to ten thousand range um, in that range is really high summer flow yeah yeah so we've jumped I guess from September October into November December now um, so the but the most in a more typical year like this last season just gone obviously not a typical year Lake Eildon at a hundred percent spilling um, but a more typical what is it normally around that sort of thousand to three thousand that November December period or a yeah, bit probably more, a bit more. Yeah, so you, a bit more than that. Yeah, yeah. Typically, like it goes. Um, I always say the first six weeks of the season is going to be low water. That sort of perfect thousand meg, and then it will bump. Yeah, it will bump to two to, you know, in that period maybe two to four thousand. Yeah, which is still really good for your all round. When I mean all round fishing, you can nymph it. You can nymph under dry it. You still find those ledges, drop offs, riffles, runs. At, at, at that sort of flow rate, it's it's a very nice trouty river still at that flow rate. And it, it doesn't become bad at any stage. It's just different. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, and the hatches, like, you know, if you could pick, uh, I guess, a period of the year where you're getting the best rising fish hatches, what uh, would it be then? Or I like, I like where we're heading now. So I yeah. really like May. Yeah. Late, mid-April to, to late May. And it, it was really interesting last season, which was more typical because we hadn't had the floods. Oh, like, I guide the Goldman a fair bit now, um, but typically not before that because the fisheries just improve with fisheries and, and flow rates and think minimal flow rates, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah, it's 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 such a good fishery now. It's hard not to get on it. And May, that May period, you've got dry fly fishing in May. Yeah. So what All more right. could you ask for? Cold, you know, when, when the smaller streams are starting to shut off, the Goldman's turning on and you're catching fish on dries. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll jump, you know, I guess we'll keep going through the months and then when we get to May we'll talk a bit more about that. Um, but November, December, uh, what about the Cozzy Duns? We're starting to see a few of them. You do see a few Cozzies in there. It's not a, a predominant hatch to worry about, but it's fantastic when it does. And that's, again, that's why you have to have the flies in the box because when if it, you do have a, a night of Cozzy Dun hatches, um, which is November-ish, like a bit later, um, yeah, you, it's amazing. But it's not one of the go-to hatches um it's more the smaller mayflies you get in, in the golden year but yeah. stunning when it happens so you want to have it in the box that's what's good about this river you need the fly there's a lot of hatches going on a lot of different sizes but so make sure you have a great a good range yeah yeah i guess more typically when you go out to a spot like that you've, you don't have size eight mayfly buttons in no your box way. ready no. for that that cozy done hatch yeah yeah absolutely the like i said i generally work out of two fly boxes for most of the year um, but there's another, don't worry, there's another six in my backpack and that comes out on the Goldman a lot for, for the Cozzy Dunhatches, for what we've seen lately, which is willow grubs, you know, mm. it's, it's a really, it's, it's a great river for hatches. Yeah. So you want to have a good range of flies in the boxes. Yeah. And what about, uh, terrestrials? Are we starting to see any terrestrials in that November, December period? Um, no, it's still, it's still hatch driven. Yep. Um, maybe December we might have a few beetles and things hitting on the water. Um, but not really. It's still hatch driven right through to Christmas. So, you know, maybe the odd you start throwing hoppers around. Like, why not? You know, mm. as a as a as a you know one of your dries in the dropper rig. So, um, but generally smaller patterns. Like, if you're gonna, you're better off fishing. If you're fishing in front of dry, you definitely want you know a mayfly as your dry, and then something else hanging below, whether it be caddisy or nymphy mayfly. Yeah, cool. Um, January, Feb, this is obviously the time, heat of summer, the farmers are needing a lot of water downstream. Yeah. Is that, that's when things really jack up in terms of flow? 
Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It can it can jack up, and then obviously terrestrials then come into the game. Um, so it's good. It, that high flow rate, just like we can't fish it anyway, but the fish don't love sitting in that, you know, paddling away really fast with their tail in that super high current. So they push to the edges and into the backwater. So that becomes more prevalent. And there's hoppers around. We're starting to look at cicadas, beetles, you know, on a stormy day, termites. You know, it's a... It's really they, the fish. It's pumping, but the fish are looking up. Mm. So that's what we like about that time of year. Um, I guess you know a lot of this uh, water is over ground that hasn't had water on it for some time as well. So with that would come a bit of an influx of food as well, right? And that would push the fish on the edges, not just for shelter from the main current, but also for the food that's there. Yeah, they're they're heading in those backwaters just for food. So yeah, absolutely, it's a combination of food and shelter. Yeah, but it's new ground, and especially browns, they just love... They're the first... Weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, They're so different with behaviour. Lakes, you know, rivers, it's all... The browns want to get into the new territory straight away. They're like, get out of my way, Rainbow, you dirty animal. (laughs) I'm the owner of this property, you know. So, And it's good because all of us, you know, through that spring period, you can catch a lot of smaller fish and some large fish, but it seems like the backwaters, there's dominant browns patrolling the edges and in those willowed up areas so yeah, do you ever just, see them actively chasing away smaller fish oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah we witnessed i was out with daniel ringer um this season and we just saw because there's a lot of as you know a lot of escapees in the Goulburn, which is making for some really bloody good fishing but um you know the browns would be there and these little dinky rainbows of about a pound and a half will get in there and the brown was just you know bang hammering it out hammering it which was annoying because we're trying to catch the brown and we're like he's preoccupied come on mr brown look at our flies don't worry about the rainbows mm. we're trying to catch you on a fly so Unreal, yeah so mate. they are they are yeah territorial yeah um uh, looking at the river as a bit of a, a hole like uh, down uh, or upstream of thornton is that a good stretch of, of water through january february and high flow or would you prefer more i guess below thornton and even around alexander when those big uh, billabongs and, and backwaters start to really swell. Yeah, um, it depends. Water temps key a key issue with that. So sometimes I'm thinking if it's a roasting hot day, let's say a thirty degree day, I am thinking Thornton up, like I want to chase the cold water. Yep. But if I'm in the morning session, it might be more down breakaway, you know, down a bit lower, and then afternoon when it's blazing hot, hit up high. Obviously, where the cold water's coming because it's warming up as it's coming down. The river, yeah. So you have a bit of a game plan of how to fish it, yeah. But Thornton, roasting hot day, Thornton up, yeah. Chase the cold water, chase the active fish. It's always easier to catch, you know, fish that are feeding rather than the fish that are shutting down due to to water temp. Yeah, sounds like that's a really good clue. The water temperature part of the story that is obviously something that is of serious consideration to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because with that water rise, you know, if it's if it's coming up, we're seeing the temperature obviously drop. Yeah, so great in summer yeah but sometimes they might bump it up early season and you go oh that's going to drop the temp that's going to kill that hat you know that mayfly hatch we've had that little bump of 500 meg might kill that hatch that we've yeah that we've been looking at the last few weeks so it is important stability i like in the goldman i don't really care what level it's at catch fish at every level but what i'm really like is stability for that temperature for the bugs yeah so more bugs moving more fish moving it's simple yeah Probably worth pointing out, uh, you know, January, February can be a time when a lot of the small streams start to struggle a little bit as they drop and the water becomes quite warm. 
where the gold one obviously seems to get that colder water and remain a bit more consistent. Yeah, yeah. That's my game plan. Usually fish, uh, even with beginners now, like we usually hammer a small stream in the morning and then, yep, okay, my game plan is as soon as the peak of the day is coming, let's hit up the gold one, let's go, you know, anywhere above Gilmore's upstream and we'll chase some cold water and chase active fish, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, I think that's what, when you get a guide like you, Scotty, that's uh, what a client pays good money for, is being adaptable like that. You know, we're not just talking water temperature given, oh, I'm going to turn up to spot A because it's that time of year and, the, you know, you, you're actually changing your tact through the course of the day based on daylight hours and, you know, what the sun's doing in the heat of the day. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I do get a few clients that call me up and they say, oh, Scott, you know where you took me... On the Rubicon last January, I fished that exact same spot, you know, where we had great fishing, and it was crap, and I, and we I fished it all day, and I was like, why did you fish it all day for if it was crap, you know, like, move, you know, it's what I would do, you know, and I said, that's no good now, because it's too low, like, that section's too warm, it's too low, Yeah. oh, okay, I didn't think about that, and that's, it's you have to be adaptable and change, like, always, I always have a game plan, I always have A, B, C, D, E, and that's what you should have. Uh, as an angler going out anywhere, but don't expect to go to the same spot, catch the same size fish that you did last year. It's a different year. So, yeah, so uh, adapt and change. And I have a three-run rule with rivers. I fish three runs, and even if it's a place where I've had success and I don't get the success that I've had in three runs, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. Like three strikes are out for me where, uh, yeah, some people might hang out there all day and try and nut it out or work it out. I'm like... I've worked it out already. It's crap. Time to go. <laughs> like, yeah. And I did that the other week, and I because we caught a couple of fish in, in a small stream, but usually it's it's Red banging. Hot. Yeah, you mm. know, it's you know three, four fish a run sort of stuff. And I said we're going, He's like, we're catching fish. And I said not not good enough, you know. So and we just stayed in that same river. We, we just went higher because the water was warm, lower. Uh, we shot upstream, you know, four or five k's. And bang, then we're getting the fish, here. Yeah. It's a completely different river further yeah, up. It's the same yeah. river, it's just yeah. different up higher. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely being adaptable. I think that's probably a thing that sorts the, the men from the boys with their fishing. Wouldn't you say, Peter? Yeah, definitely. Boy? I mean, no, I good on you, mate. <laughs> I mean, you should never, I think depends on the fishery, you should never leave fish to find fish, famous quote. Um, but being adaptable like that is the key to success, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so March, April, you know, we've moved on from January, February. Yep. Do we touch on terrestrials at all in January, Feb? Like, yeah, so we, yeah, like I say, uh, cicadas, hoppers, beetles, termites, and the thing that I've loved this season, I, and I've really enjoyed this probably the last four or five seasons, is willow grubbing. Yeah. So um, I haven't posted a lot on social media because I keep it, you know, in my pocket that one. So secretive. So secretive, but it's, it's that late February period to right now, that it starts to slow up as soon as you get these frosts. But, you know, little willow grubs hitting like raindrops in the backwaters and fish just keyed in on them. Unreal. Yeah, and a lot of fun, yeah. What size willow grub flies are you fishing? Because I see some people with massive ones and some people with tiny ones. Yeah. What's the go? It's interesting because, like I said, New Zealand, I was just there. I was talking to you before. We we did our trip to New Zealand in uh first week of February and we were using size 20 willow grubs. Yeah. And... Typically yellow, so very small 18s, 20s, uh, 16s as well. But, the, oh, I almost smashed the mic there. <laughs> There's the 12 beers. Um, but, yeah, the Goulburn, we're looking at, you know, 14s, 12s. Okay, yeah. Yeah, large ones. And I've seen just a week ago, I was on the Grubbers, and I was seeing, like, seriously, like, they were caterpillars. Like, they were, yeah, right. they were 
long, slender, and let's just let's call them almost twenty mil. Wow! You know, they were, yeah, and the right. fish were just like boom, and I was like, I've got nothing that size, so you're gonna have to eat my size twelve, you know. <laughs> so, and that, which they did willingly, but I would have, yeah, liked to have something a little bit bigger. Yeah, they're they're proper, you know, the sawfly larvae, and they, yeah, they definitely range. I'm not an entomologist; I'm just a fly fisherman, but um, but there's definitely a different. It'd be food related, space. right? Because they do eat out the willows. Like this year is a bit different, but yeah. normally, sometimes by 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 now, definitely by February, there's not a lot of vegetation left for them to eat. Yeah, and so I, they they tend to disappear. I think maybe I don't know if they're the same species of sawfly larvae, or like you said, there there is a lot of food around, and it wasn't a cracking hot season, by the way, on the grubbers this season. Um, usually it coincides with a good hopper season, the good willow grub season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the grubs I've seen maybe because there's more vegetation or it's a different species, but they were big, yeah. So and bright green, yeah. Like you don't typically have to go to yellow at all. It's just they're electric green, like you know, yeah, so. like, like the foam willow grub flies, the same yeah. looking thing. Yeah, yeah. You it's use the crazy. foam willow grub and you think, and you're thinking that just looks fake, and then the real one drops on you like that looks fake, you know. <laughs> the, yeah, and the trout love them really. Like when they get on them, it's pretty amazing. They're hard to spook the fish really. Because um, they're so keyed in, um, keyed. I, I think they're keyed in. But I had a, an interesting discussion with a guide over in uh, New Zealand when we had, and we we're pretty much grubbing the whole time. But we caught a few fish on the usual blowflies and this that. But they were we were just grubbing like all day. Um, but he, and you, you grub, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know these fish are sitting high up in the water. They're really obvious to pick out. You can see, the, and they're just chomping away. And you line them and spook them, and you short line casting to them, just banging it, and the guy that showed me this season, he goes, no, be more aggressive. Like, get right on them and slam the willow grub down and, and keep on smacking it. And as soon as it drifts over their tail, just pick it up and bang again on their nose. Really get that reactionary take. And and then you'd spook them. Like, you'd land the wrong the wrong cast. And he'd, he'd shoot off to the left for less than a minute and then come back out to his line and just chomping, chomping away. And I was like, what's... And he goes, they're all high. <laughs> and, I, and, I said to, and I said to the... I shouldn't mention his name, but I will. Todd, Todd Adolf. How you going, mate? Um, but Todd said, they're all high. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, have you, you know, your willow extract? You know, you can get, you can buy it from a, like a health food shop. <laughs> and he said, it's got an anesthetic value to it. So they're eating it and feeling great and they lose their mind. They're so on the brownies. They're on Junkies. The, yeah. So he reckons, because <laughs> the way they're behaving, it's it's amazing. You can't spook them really. And if you do, it doesn't matter. They just come straight back out. So I don't know where... I think he's wrong, but sorry, <laughs> but I think just whatever's in them has so much value. They like them. They love it. Yeah. yeah. So that's all we need to know. But tasty yeah. grubs. Yeah. Tasty, tasty, tasty grubs that make you high. Um, <laughs> um, while we're on terrestrials, this hopper season was a bit disappointing by the by the reports. What do you think about that? Yeah, 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 and yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's happened late, so yeah. the last the last probably two and a half weeks probably been the best three weeks. On um, hoppers, yeah. Uh, typically, hopper fishing is best done due, you know when there's low rainfall, which we've sort of had, but it came late. Um, so, yeah, you want those paddocks to be eaten out with cows or whatever or completely dry in the bush, and the only green vegetation you want is beside the rivers. So then you get that, you know, all the hoppers heading towards the river. Yeah. If it's green out in the paddocks, you haven't got that massive migration of hoppers to the edge of the water where they get blown in and jumping in. So yeah, you yeah. can almost pick when hoppers are going to be on if the paddocks are brown. Yeah, yeah. So I do like fishing those terrible cow-looking paddocks or 
the good thing about the the gold, you know, this chip, a lot of dairy and things like that, so they get, it gets eaten out. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, do you? What about um, color of hoppers? Do you get caught up on that at all? Or? Uh, not not too much, but like every pattern that I have in the box, I've got multiple, a lot of different patterns and different sizes and colors. So if you throw something out of the fish, I'm always looking for a different silhouette, shape, color, size to what it's rejected or I'm having bad fishing. So, yeah. Um, well, you know me with the PMX, like the, the PMX fly. So You do love that fly. I do love it. And I, Amazing and I, fly. Yeah, and I and I, that high, I'm not sure if you're stocking the high vis one. But Absolutely, yeah, we are. Absolutely, we are. Absolutely, we are. So that so you're that, in the world's best fly shop, mate. Of course, we've got stock of those. Okay. <laughs> so you won't you won't have to put my manic order through now. <laughs> but um, wow. But that that um that um high vis PMX. I guess it's a black silhouette. It's a dark silhouette. Yeah. And there's still a lot of debate whether trout see colours, but whether they see black and white. But obviously, if you watch a black and white movie. There's like a hundred different shades of black and white, so it does make a difference in, in terms of color. But um, I like, I do like a dark silhouette. I think it gets away as a bit of a cicada um, and hopper. So I've never had yeah any issues with that. But yeah, definitely, I do like rubber legs. You know, as long as it's got, if you're fishing hopper patterns, rubber legs are a key. I think it does give it a bit of a bit of a shake and a bit of movement. So yeah. And that dark silhouette against a blue sky too is going to bring a fish up from down deep. I yeah, think, in yeah, my yeah. opinion. They see it and move yeah. for it, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Mm. Um, so now we're at the, the sweet spot, your sweet spot. You love this time of year. March, April, it's also obviously the time of year that we're, we're releasing this podcast episode, so very current. Let's talk a bit about the fishing now and March, April. Yeah, so we're, we're moving into cooler water temps now. So we've had – it hasn't been obviously that bad with the, with the flow rates at the moment – um, what are the flow rates at the moment? Uh, it's it's just dropped to four thousand seven hundred. I just checked that the other day. It went up to five, yeah, five one, I think five thousand one hundred, which that's as high as it's been all season post floods. So that's quite low. It's been you know we we would have should have experienced some eight thousands through summer, but it didn't bump up. So it's been mainly floating around two thousand three hundred to two thousand eight hundred, just perfect all summer. So um, you know for bank fishers. Um, but yeah, it's it's got up to four thousand seven hundred at the moment, and I reckon it might hang out there for a little bit because it does seem quite dry at the moment. Um, but yeah, we should see it starting to, you know, maybe in two weeks, three weeks, it should start pulling back. Um, by mid 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 April, it should be that sweet spot, you know, two and a half thousand and lower. Yeah, so nice. Yeah. Do you think fishing it out of a boat, out of a drift boat, is a significant advantage to bank fishing? Uh, in terms of fish numbers, no, not really. If you want to catch fish, it's, I mean, it's and it's a beautiful way to see the river and drift it. Um, I've done it a few times, and, and there's a few other operations that drift it, and something definitely you want to do in in your life, absolutely. But I'd probably say between you're like seventy or eighty and can't walk the banks because <laughs> you, do, you do miss out on a significant, you know, that sight fishing. There the backwater fishing, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the drift boat you can certainly pull up and and do that anyhow. But um, yeah, I think. Um, Drifting it is a sensational way to, to see the river. And it does access both sides of the river. You know, if you if you're wade fishing, uh, you sort of choose a side. And as a right hander, I like to choose the true right side. North, so north, yeah. So the yeah, so the north north, north side of the north yeah. side of the river. So um, yeah, so that's because I it helps you. You know, with your fishing as a right hander, so you're not going on the, over the backhand side. So. Little things like that I, I think about when I'm taking an angler out. I always ask, what's, what 
you were lefty or righty. And when I get a lefty, I'm like, hey, this is good. Take me to the other side of the river. So, yeah, just um, a little consideration, yeah. And access wise, uh, a lot of public access up there. Fantastic. You'd yeah. have some, uh, you know, some phone numbers to farmers, though, wouldn't you? And be able to yeah, get yeah, some private access. We do, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do have a bit of private access. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but um, but really, like, do I fish the public access areas? Yeah, all the time. Like, I, it's really no biggie to me. I, like, it's loaded with fish. That's what you have to understand. It's got a, it had a super high fish population before the flood, but now it's. Ridiculous. ridiculous yeah it's and and the fish are sustaining you know their their weight and you know we're getting fish on their on the backing of reels and things like that running everywhere so but um yeah it's, what um, what what's happened there just for for the, okay. the guys that maybe don't know um you know obviously huge numbers in the fish in the goulburn at the moment what happened through those floods talk us through it well there's a there's a few trout hatcheries that are you know right along the river itself and well out of the flood zone but this flood was once in a hundred year event and unfortunately for them and fortunately for us that um that flood water you know inundated their their operation and they all got washed into the river so you've got i've, I've heard estimates of tonnage of fish you know someone's i've heard everything ranging from 25 ton uh right up to 60 ton of fish lost um through those operations so it's banged a lot of these uh, rainbows in like I don't have a problem with it. Like um, I know some people would, but it seems like the the bait fishermen, the bait anglers, and, and lure anglers have, have taken a fair share <laughs> of that out in six months. So, um, but for for us as trade anglers, like great. Like, like I haven't had any angler complain when I've with the landed nine pounder that's taken one of the backing of the last three weeks. No one said, "Oh, this sucks." You know, <laughs> I've why is it missing a fin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and and that's and they're. Like the, the fish over the last, like they've worked it out. They've worked out how to feed. Yeah, like they're not skinny little eels. Um, you know they're solid. They look like steelhead. You know they're solid across the back. They're not slabby like when they first went in. Obviously being pallet fed and all that stuff. But now they're they're river fit. You know they've been on the treadmill for six months. So when you hook them now, you you know you'll know about it. So and it's good. And that'll that that'll disappear as well. Um, and get back to sort of normal traditional. Nature has a way of finding a balance, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and it's the river is what what it can sustain. It looks like it can sustain most of the fish in there. So, which is interesting from a fisheries point of view, and that's something for them to work out. But um, you know, it has been a stocked river in the past through fisheries. Um, you can have a look at that at the VFA. But um, I I had no problem with that happening, and it's something that we can take advantage of over the next few years. So. Um, like why not, you know? And the browns are still there, you know. If you're willing to Polaroid and search for them, the browns are still they don't seem to be displaced or anything. Um, if not, it's probably got given it a kick in the ass to go get out and start feeding a bit of competition. So uh, yeah, so there's still stacks of stacks of browns in there, stacks of wild rainbows. You can tell them apart. So still plenty of those sort of pound and a half to sort of three pound wild bows, um, which seem to be more at the top end. So above Thornton, we've caught because there's a bit of cup for people. I don't want to go. You know, those things, so I've fished a bit high, so it seems a lot of, lot more wild bows, a little bit higher in the catchment, yeah. Yeah, so that's what's happened. A bit, big floods washed a crap load of fish in, and yeah, it's a heap of fun. Cool. Let's dial in a bit more on this fishing now, March, April. Uh, let's just say hypothetically, it's five to 6,000 megs uh, coming into the river each day. Um, uh, what do you... Uh, what, what do you do? Is there a spot you love going in that, that sort of flow? Um, uh, what sort of style of fishing are you wanting to do at that time? 
Uh, so nymph under dry, we'll cover it at the moment. So really just traditional, simple fishing. And I always keep it simple first. So I usually go head out with two rods. So um, two six-weight rods, um, one ten-footer, one nine-footer. So nymph under dry is on your nine-footer and just cover those edges. But then I do want to double nymph it. So And I do prefer over European nymphing, uh, the, the New Zealand strike indicator technique with a level line. So we use New Zealand strike indicator, um, uh, you know, maybe nine foot of tippet just straight through, uh, which can be 5X usually um, to a heavy nymph. And then off the back of that, we tie another nymph. So similar, similar to what they do in the Tongariro. Yep. And so I want to fish that heavy water inside bends, inside turns, um, and rotate between the both. I'm always on nymph under dry straight away. I want to catch everything on the dry fly, yeah. Um, and then we're still looking into backwaters and things like that along the way, single dry flies. Yeah, and to some listeners, a six-weight might sound like a big rod for a place like the Goulburn. Can you talk us through why, why you'd select a six-weight? Yeah, yeah, and particularly a longer rod. Like if if I if I had the choice, I'd go 10-foot, um, six-weight. You've got plenty of those in stock. Plenty of start pumping it. Yeah. Heaps. Um, <laughs> and, it must, and, it, <laughs> and it was um, – look, it was – I was influenced by Mark Weigel with this. He always fishes 10-foot, 10, 10 six-weight rods, and it just makes everything easier. So it makes – because what you want is long drifts in the Goulburn. So you want to, you do want a nice, long, you know, 60-, 70-foot drift because you – especially with nymphing, you want those nymphs to spend more time where the fish are towards the bottom. Um, with a shorter rod, shorter drifts, less fish. It's all about, you know – maximising the time that your nymphs spend where they should spend, you know, close to the bottom. Someone going to get that phone? <laughs> Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yep. <laughs> that line yep. control you get with a 10-foot rod is next. Yeah, and little things like reach cast, like, which is huge, which we run through on the courses, like reach casting, you know, amends, like mending, you know, when you cast across to the willows, let's say it's a big 70-foot cast, that little bit of extra length and height, you know, what you get from a 10-foot amending will give you a longer, you know, unaided drift. So, so yeah, little, they're little things, but they're big things. So not really about the fish yet. Like, I'm sure people can land fish in three weights in there and what we do with the nymphing rods, like we've landed monsters with that, but it's more about how you how you fish. Um, and that longer rod and heavy rod helps everything, casting heavy nymphs. So I always want to make fly fishing easy. It's already difficult enough. Let's just make it easier and it's easier done with a, a heavier rod, yeah. Very cool, mate. And Willow Grubs, you've obviously had a bit of that fishing lately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just like three or four days ago. So amazing. Yeah, amazing and really good actually. Because I was uh, one of the one of the anglers sort of said, oh, "I want to do grubbing. I've never done that before." And I was like, "I was doing the oh, I might be a bit too late, and, you know, underselling it a bit because I hadn't been out for about two weeks on them, and and they were still going." going really well and uh, I do like to use a five weight for that so I'm going to reverse back if, if I'm going grubbing I want a soft action five weight nine foot yeah because uh, we, we have to use bow and arrow casts and little rolls so the softer the rod and also we're washing machining the fish so um so that <laughs> what <laughs> explain that to the listeners so, thanks mate all right, and okay. us <laughs> so we're, we're generally on he- heavy tippet as well we're using 3x if I can 4x so as soon as that fish eats you know you're surrounded by junk you know, fallen timber. There's a lot of crap everywhere, yeah? So you hook that fish and you keep that fish, and I tell you this, you lock up and I want that rod, you know, whipping towards the, the uh, vertical vertical position, and that fish stays on the surface. And if you ever see a three-pound round hooked or four-pound on the surface, it resembles a washing machine. It's just... <laughs> 
<laughs> smashing around the surface because you don't want it to duck into those snags. So you just keep it on the surface, just smash it. And it's a, it's a really quite a short fight. So yeah. it's all about the eat. And, and then, then you're diving in there with the net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just say, it's no wonder we see so many broken fly rods from your clients. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had two. Oh, sticking them. We had two on the swampy. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, just locking up. You know, it's, it's it, you have to do that. And that's why that soft rod, and I usually, I usually use my own rod <laughs> for them to use because, because they, most anglers generally have a, a fast action rod. Yeah. They bring along. So I'm like, no, use this really soft bit of spaghetti so because i want you to scott g or something either i actually use a center axis oh right yeah, yeah, so yeah. Nice. Oh, wow. five weight nine foot center axis so yeah i just found that to be really good for bows um and it's, it's a bit of a workhorse for me that little rod so i just like the blank more than anything yep um i don't know who did the blanks for lamson for that one but they're there on yeah how they, they designed yeah. them yeah so brian yeah. o'keefe i think helped design it he yeah. knows a few things yeah i think so yeah so <laughs> anyway great great rod i'm not sure if they even making them but yeah, find yourself a, a slower action rod. And it's something you'll use when the water's low anyway, like a medium slow action rod. Like I said, when it starts to drop over the next few months, you like a five, eight, nine foot when you after those finicky feeders, I call them, you know, that's a great rod. And they're better fighting tools than a, a 10, you know, 10 foot, six weight sort of beast. So. Good, mate. It's almost like we're talking lake rods here, isn't it? You know? Yeah. yeah. So I guess you're getting that... that that change crossover. Over. Yeah. Obviously, if we talk more about small streams, it would be a totally set of different gear. But yeah. Goulburn-wise, we're talking more lake-appropriate gear is yeah. what you typically would choose. Yeah. aggressive floating line tapers. Yeah, all that stuff. Pretty much what I use in the lakes, I use for the Goulburn. Absolutely. Good, mate. Um, midge in rivers. Let's talk a bit about that. March, yeah. April is a time when a few midge, you know, can maybe start to pop up. Yeah. What... Um, I don't, like to me, it's a mystery. What yeah. what are you what are you looking for to identify midge, and how do you then it's fish pretty, that? It's almost like our lakes, you see nothing, <laughs> but the fish <laughs> are rising. Yeah, yeah. So that's your midge feeder. So um, again, just like like the lake fishing out at Millbrook or at the public waters, um, a puba is the best option. So, and I do find black puba. So I, it's a go to where lakes. I'm usually on red puba, as most people know. It's been out with me on the lakes, but. I love a, a and a smaller sort of sixteen black pupa. Yep. Um, those what do they call those filling with ha- granum? Now what's the ones that I the three D glass three D glass buzzers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a super really, glue buzzer. Super glue. Yep. Yeah. That's a really good option. A great success over in New Zealand with them. So so a bit yeah. like the lakes in that they're rising fish, but you're casting what is a, a nymph at them basically. Absolutely, and, and the shortest droppers you've ever seen in your life. So you know I'm, I'm fishing a a para atoms of some sort 16 and then below that i'm you know five centimeters below that like that's how short i'm fishing the little dropper tag and, and most people that have headed out with it, yeah we're using I want, I want everything on the dry fly yeah like i'm mr dry fly but but it, it comes times where even though you see those fish sitting high that which you'll see over the next few months sitting high under those phone lines still 50 percent get caught on a subsurface fly even though they're so high up so yeah so little little black buzzers um and then little shuttlecocks and things like that, which you use for because you get away with the mayfly patterns, same with the midge pattern, so they you can cover both with the one pattern if that makes sense. So, yeah, yep, nice. So just another fly that you need in the box, really, isn't it? Oh, um, yeah, you need. It's just such a hatch-driven fishery. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's where, where during the course of a day you can see four or five different things. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, you can find caddis feeding fish doing something there. I'm, I'm talking about just at the tail, and then you go to the top of the run. There are mayflies. 
Yeah. So the what was working back in the tail ain't working at the top there. So yeah, and and it, and having multiple rods helps when I'm guiding, but just take your time. And, and I get a lot of anglers say, you know, I've spent some time, and they're like, yeah, I've spent like ten minutes on one fish, and I said, so like spend an hour on that one fish. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I said, work it out. You'll catch it. if that fish is feeding, you can catch it. Yeah, that's always my thought. Sometimes you find fish that are just like that's doggo. You know, what I mean, don't worry. Let's walk past that one. We've chucked it a few flies, but if that's chomping away, at the if surface, it's still actively feeding, yeah, it's, know, a it's, it's a trout. catchable trout. Yeah, you can't. It's feeding. Yeah. So and there's plenty of times even I will say, oh, I think we spooked that one, and then chomp it eats again. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a bit like, damn, I wish we did spook it so we can get off this thing. But yeah, yeah, keep on, yeah. You know, it's not un- uncommon to have a dozen to 25 changes for one fish. Wow. Yeah, so don't give up on that feeding fish. Absolutely, yeah, you'll catch it. Great advice, mate. Yeah, just being that bit adaptable and, like, actually going that extra bit of effort rather than just moving on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't move off that fish if it's feeding, yeah. Nice. Um, all right, so March, April, it's, you know, bloody good time to be up there and fishing. Just dropping, yep. Yeah, so everyone should be making an effort to get up there at the moment. The fishery is in the best shape that it has been yeah that maybe ever yeah i think not apart from those fish washing in the hatches have been sensational i think because so, so the similar thing happened to the swampy the bottom's been rolled so it's just all those because it's been a controlled water for so long you know over the years mud has gone between the rocks it's like i guess like a paved bottom mm. but now the bottom's been rolled all those mayflies can access the bottom of every rock you know, that's in the joint. When you're standing in some of the riffles, you can feel the, the rocks washing from away from under your feet, just like a New Zealand stream. So it's pretty, it's very impressive. And I think that's over the next four to five years, that's what we're going to see until it silts up a bit more. But we're going to see amazing hatches, um, you know, really good fishing over the next four to five years. So, yeah, that's really cool. So, to any of those naysayers that through the floods thought, oh, you know, the fishery may never recover. Um, how, what do you say to those people, you know, the, the, that were so worried about the Goldman? Go fish it because <laughs> there's fish everywhere. So, yeah, and, and like I said, I've, I reckon I've done 50% of my guiding on the Goldman this season and it was probably, let's say, 30, a third of the time just because it's so good. Like I can take beginners there and catch plenty of fish. So it's just like the, like the Swampy did the same thing. We, even when we're going up, they're like, oh, maybe it's stuff. Maybe all the fish have been washed to bloody Albury, you know. Mm. But... It, whatever it does, the fish just love it and they just keep pushing out to the edges, you know, feeding on worms and whatever. They just keep them going wide by wide and as it recedes, they just follow it back in. And and I think I think maybe even fish from that were – I think there's still decent trout down below, below Alex, mm. but um, I think they've really even pushed, you know, all those fish are like, I'm going up there for, for this new river. So, yeah, there's just loads of fish in it. Whether it's been stocked or not, I reckon even as a wild trout fishery, it's pretty, it's very impressive, yeah. Oh, that's cool, mate. So um, looking forward again, May, June, uh, we're getting towards the end of the season now. What happens on the river? Uh, then we're, we're looking at low water levels, you know, around 1,000 meg, um, and we're looking at mayfly hatches, like just all day, like mayfly hatches with fish just sitting up high in the water. There's very little variation in daytime temperature. It's usually, you know, the fish are out of it. It's ideally a cloud, slightly cloudy day. But you'll still get them popping off even in the sun. But it's all day hatches and fish just keyed in on them. But small, small flies. Yeah. So, yeah. And the, I was going back to fly selection. The reason why I don't use size 18, I just find the hooks and your hookup rate on small flies sucks. Mm. So, what I tend to look at is a size 16 fly, but tied very sparse and thin, like a size 20. Yeah. So, 
that's my reason. Um, so I'd look at flies. You know, I'll have a look at your flies later. You tell me you got some fantastic new flies. So I'm going to check small mayfly patterns that you've got, and that are sparsely tied. Sparsely tied, but it's sort of sixteens. Yeah, so. Pisano spun sort of things. Yeah, yeah, fly. Yeah, 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 little, little stuff. Yeah, and I notice one of your flies that you tie, which we just love, is a that little parachute orange spinner that, that I keep on bugging you for. Send up heaps. Yeah, that is one of the go-to flies that we use. Little para orange spinner. Yep. And sometimes they're sometimes what's hatching is not what you're using, and I think sometimes that can be a benefit. I know it's very much about matching the hatch, but when there's a hundred, you know, coming down of this grey thing and yours is a little bit different, the fish are just like, oh. That one's nice, you know. It looks similar, but it stands out. So don't be afraid to chuck something in that isn't what you're catching him on or, you know, you think you've matched the hatch, but you obviously aren't doing a good job. <laughs> no, but no, but they might just eat something different. Yeah. So, yeah. And nymphing still effective? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like nymphing throughout the whole season. Mm. Again, back to like the back of the start of the season, European nymphing, the top end of the runs, riffles, lighter, sparser nymphs. 16s, very, you know, fine tippets as well. For this time of year, there's de- I'm definitely, even with the dry fly fishing, going down to 6, 7x. Um, yeah, get, get, get really fine with your tippets, especially with, with nymphing. Yeah, nymph under dry. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a sensational time of year to fish. Good, mate. And these lower levels, um, you know, you touched on earlier, there being a, an environmental flow these days? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think Philip Weigel had something to do with this in fisheries. Um which they did, they, uh, I'm not sure if the words forced the catchment management authorities, but it used to drop to like 120 meg mm. during winter and um, early and late in the season, which was just like, it's ridiculous. So uh, that affects the holding, so the holding capacity of any river is what its minimal flow is, what it can handle. Um, so Philip and fisheries increased that flow to a minimum of 400 meg a day. So three times what it was at its lowest point. So the holding capacity of that river over the last few years, that's why I think the fisheries really improved, has improved because obviously the, the nymphs and the caddis don't like a dry rock, do they? So there's there's no no living animals under those rocks. So at 400, you've got more river that has life to it. Yep. So it's the holding capacity of that river has increased over the last few years and that showed with catch rates and, and the fishery itself, yeah. How good that, you know, finally they're starting to think a bit about the fishery and the, the resource that they've got there, both economically and for, you know, social yeah, good. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Mm. yeah. I guess they won't just think about an irrigation ditch. They're thinking, you know, for all life in that river, it's it's better to have it a little bit more flow, yeah. Maybe better for spawning too? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, they definitely would spawn in, in the Goulburn, some of the right areas, maybe where, the, you know, creeks like the Snobs or something creek comes in, but... It still is debatable whether they it's a spawn, big debate, isn't it? Yeah, whether they whether they spawn in tailwaters. I think a bit more science needs to go into it. But I'm going to be controversial. Can I say this? Ooh. You ready? Ready? Sit down, guys. We've got this you, far into the podcast. I know. Is this is the end of the podcast. This is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And oh, I've gone off line. I would like to see the Goulburn open all year round. I was Boom. just about to ask that. Boom! I fully Top agree. It so, so should be. So, and I think, I think, a horror. I know, and and a lot of people, I can hear some people just 
so that people drive when they listen to this podcast. Yeah. Because they've just they've, crashed yeah. into the barrier or something. They've gone off the cliff on the black spur. A few of those purists <laughs> out there. And I'm and look, I'm all for protecting trout because it affects my business, doesn't it? But at the same time, I'm thinking I am thinking economically, but I'm not thinking about my own pocket. Like I don't care. But what that river brings to that area economically for the businesses in that area, it would make a huge difference if it was open. And I would like to see that river more as a driven fishery for kids and for, you know, people that are just starting out with fishing and things like that. And I think having it open all year round would be a draw card just because it is a stocked fishery, yeah? Mm. It's, it's a stocked fishery. And I think the science needs to go into protecting the – like they might work out where the spawning zone is and have a closed section. Like I'm all for that. Or – Definitely protecting all the small streams. I want that closed for sure. So put that on record that that's yeah. always closed, yeah. But I'm talking about a stocked fishery, just like a lake, like being open all year round. Um, yeah, economically, um, it would be great as well. But for your business, it would be good as well. You know, people still being able to fish a river, just like the Hopkins. You know, the Hopkins. Yep. Is it the Hopkins? The yeah. Mirai, yeah, it is. Mirai, yeah. yeah. So there, there is already some rivers that you can fish all year round. Mm. And, and there's people that think fish spawn in the Hopkins, so it's there's always a yeah, and it's still I guess it's not debate. I don't know if that's deba- I don't know if yeah. the science is there to back that up, mm. but I agree, mate. I think you know there's probably bag limits and other things that could be explored as better management tools for that water rather than a closed season I mentality. Gr- I agree with you. You know, maybe it might be in that winter period you can only allow one fish per per angler or something like that. More of a model like the New Zealand fisheries model. Um, that's a world-class fisheries boat, and I think our fisheries should, you know, have a look at it, at, at least check it out and see, okay, is this viable or not? And look for a stocked non-native species, I shouldn't say that, but, you know, I don't see the, the problem with a stocked fishery. And, yeah, okay, well, if all the kids are going there and, you know, they're catching four or five fish every time they go with their dad or mum, banging a few trout, having a good time, that's what it's all about. And I do believe, okay, it gets a bit quiet, just whack a few more in, just like our public waters and those, the you lakes. know. Yeah, like the lakes. So just keep up with demand, supply and demand that river. But keep every other, what I would like to see, like you, you're saying, you know, the other small streams protected better and different, you know, catch rates and, and keep rates for those those particular rivers. But, yeah, I'd like to see the Goulburn open all year round. Sorry, listeners. You Very controversial. We've done it. Yeah. Big yeah. political podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's a big you, didn't, you said don't talk politics in the, uh, this shop, I think. When yeah, I no in. politics. Yeah, or That's health, health problems. We don't talk health problems yeah. in here either. Okay. Um, uh, Scotty, before we finish up, yep. could you give us three flies that you need to have for the Goldman? Three flies. Yeah, if you yeah. had to sum it up to three flies. Yep. Um, they must be in stock at the fly. I was going to say. <laughs> of course, of course. We just got um, a monster of an order, so it'd be yeah. hard pressed to not be in stock. Yep. Um, so one of my favourites is um, that PMX. Yep. Obviously, in the summer months there. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking, trying to give it around. So nymph wise, it'd have to be one of the flies that has your name on it too. I would have thought. Yeah, I know, and you're not going to like this as well. But we catch so many fish in that Scott's micro flashback. Yeah, and I do like great to. Fly, yeah. yeah, I do like. Why to would have, I not like that? It's a great. Fly. I don't know because we got heaps of them in there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, that micro flashback in in definitely have the black bead and the gold bead. So there's yeah. two bead colours, and just sometimes I'll be on one more than the other. Um, no preference to colour of water or anything, but um, mm. yeah, that 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 fly there. 
It's simple perfection, not unlike yourself. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Far out. With a big now. Um, and I'm just thinking something, um, you know, one that does catch a lot of fish in that river and I don't know why, it's like kicking, kicking clink hammer. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, it's a fulling mill fly, so not one of yours, but um, but that kicking clink for some reason and it just dominated over New Zealand as well. And I was, the last few years I've been using that kicking clink. Black so. body? No, green. The green oh, one, yeah. So the more, more the summertime sort of stuff, mm. um, yeah, that kicking clink, even if it, it's, it looks a bit big sometimes for yep. what they're feeding on, yeah, that kicking clink is a, is cool. a great look for you. Now, there's one thing we brushed over that I did want to um, cover very briefly, and um, that is like if the water, if we notice, if we're monitoring the water levels and we see a very sharp increase in flow, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like I said, it, it shifts that water temp, so I don't love it. But if it's the right time of year, like let's say it's warm the water and it gets a big boom, bump, that means water temp drop, fish will become very active quickly. Yep. But generally I don't love big changes in all tail waters, that being the swampy or the golden. I like stability. Um, but definitely if it's too warm, like let's say it's at 2,000 in summer and you're like, bloody hell, it feels a bit bath warm and then it goes boom to 3,000, I'm pretty happy then, yeah, to get that big bump here. And what about a big drop as not yeah i don't like that as much definitely yeah yeah Yeah. definitely don't like the drop yeah yeah prefer it on if anything it's going to do anything is rise a bit um not a bit not a huge fan of it but again drops maybe three days later fish will work out their lies and where the the food is is situated at and they work it out pretty quick they're pretty pretty intelligent creatures at finding food quickly but it just it just doesn't make for the best fishing ever you know on a bit of a large drop but it seems like the gold when they're pretty good, you know, maybe 500 meg sort of a day or something like that or 200. Yep. The last drop was like 5.1 to 4.7, something like that. So it wasn't a... Whereabouts are you getting this information? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm old school. I'm sure there's a website for this year. And, <laughs> and, your, listen, and your listeners will um, um, be able to search for, on the web because they're more intelligenter than I. What me, would you Google? Me. I'm going to give you a phone number. This is how... <laughs> So I've got it on my phone here. You ready? This, yeah. That's, you're laughing, I know. Um, but there's no app. There's no app. Um, Why don't we call the number? See what's going on. There you go. Here we go. Put on loudspeaker too. How do you use loudspeaker? Yeah. Piss off. I know how to use loudspeaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old. Um, so this is Golden River level. So this is a phone number I ring every day. And they they usually will tell you whether it's dropping, you know, or increasing or yeah. whatever. But um, So it is... You ready for the number? And then I'll bring it. 03-5774-3928. Great, man. <laughs> you ready? I'll give it a Write call. Write that so down, see what it's at. listeners. You have called the Lake Yulton Storage and Flow Advisory Service. Reading's taken 9am Wednesday, the 22nd of March. Lake Yulton's at 287.67 metres, which Bloody is 95.1% of capacity. This is 1.23 metres below full supply level and is a decrease of 3 centimetres over the past 24 hours. Lake Yildon inflow is approximately 500 megalitres per day. Releases into the Goldman River of 4,300 megalitres per day will decrease to 4,000 megalitres per day, commencing at 10am this morning. 
Goulburn River release water temperature is 11.9 degrees with a dissolved oxygen content of 8.9 parts. And that's why I usually hang up, so I just hung up then. There's yeah. a bit more crap going on. I want to have a beer with that guy. Yeah, yeah what a legend. Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. Who gets that job? <laughs> and every day, so they, they update that. That phone thing is done every day at 9 a.m. So you can ring up at about, let's say, 9.30. Yeah. And you've got that information. So like um, that it gives you a bit of a projection as to what's happening as like, you know, the adjustments being made. Yeah. And know, I'm what's, sure what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm sure there's a website where you can look at history and, and all that stuff, which is which would be important as well in terms of flow rates. Um, and I do believe on the internet they give you a bit of a prediction as well for the upcoming week large. or two. Yeah. So, um, but that for me... I'm a fishing guy. I'm out every day, so I'm fishing no matter what. Yeah, it doesn't matter you're, what the future. You're calling it up on yeah. loudspeaker on the drive there. Oh yeah, I'm call- yeah exactly with the client, and they're talking about this and that. Where are we going? I just get banging, then this old dude comes on. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, but very um, very handy to know, and you can see that it's been a bit of a drop. So and 11.9 degrees. So I I care about water temp, but again, what are we going to do? Not fish because of water temp, you know. But mm. um, but 11.9 is a cold cold water. Um, drop on the drop a bit, so it's looks like over the last week it's dropped from five one to four. So it's starting to already head, you know, for walk weight angles, it's starting to head for in the right direction. And I'd be, I mean, there's not a bad level to fish it at, uh, but it's starting to head into the right direction for for autumn, you know, autumn period. Yeah, nice. I might have to get up there now. <laughs> you should, mate. I know. Yeah, it's the Goulburn. It, it it's it's pretty much the river in Victoria, isn't it? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's, we'd say it's our premier river, yeah. you know. But uh, and it's true because that's close proximity to Melbourne. Close know. to Melbourne, easy. Like like you said, access, amazing access, um, through that whole you know section above Alexandra, which is sort of what we call the trout section. But the trout obviously push right down, mm. down through to Molesworth. But um, you know, through that section there, the fisheries and the CMA have done a great job providing access. You can pretty much walk that whole section, you know, without too many problems so it's a great river to access um you know able body or not so yeah it's um cool. fantastic well and, you know we've covered obviously a lot uh in this podcast but there's still so much to learn about the Goulburn and you've got a, a course coming up on how to fly fish the, the Goulburn can you tell us a bit about that yeah I do um yeah so we've got a two-day two-day uh Goulburn River course it's pretty much through demand um we get a lot of anglers saying you know Goulburn's you know a bit of a daunting water how do I fish it? What do I do? So, yeah, we put together this course. It's a new course for us, um, which we're really excited about. Uh, and we just run through everything you need to know about the Goldman, all that flow rate stuff, fly selection, how to fish it, you know, where to go, where not to go. Um, yeah, so we, we run through all that. There's a bit of fly tying involved. You know, we run through everything from European nymphing to double nymph rigs to, to dry fly fishing to swinging. So we cover cover absolutely everything you need to know through that through that two-day course, yeah. Um, yeah, and the beauty of these courses is that it's a bit more of a structured learning environment. Is that right? Ab- ab- yeah, absolutely. As opposed to a day's guiding, it's quite different. Yeah, yeah. Like um, I always find people say, I want you to show, you know, take me to the goal and show me how to fish it. And it's like too, it's too much of a complex river to just learn in a day. Mm. So we really do feel like it's a, you know, we needed those two days. And even then we're cramming it in, yeah. So um, we're going through a lot of, a lot of different stuff, you know, right from, like we've we've gone pretty uh technical and you know advanced this, but we've got you know through Google Maps we've got our own private you know access points that we go through. Uh, they're not private access, but the Google Maps. So we use Google Maps, and on there it's got all the access points through from Alex right through and what to where and how to fish it. So yeah, so um, 
yeah, so it's it's the whole thing's quite complex and the the course is structured for that. So yeah, yeah, we're pretty excited um to put it together and I know you guys have yeah helping us. So no, it's awesome, man. Yeah. And um yeah, obviously if you're interested in signing up for a course like that, you can book directly through the Fly Fisher or through Wilderness Fly Fishing. Uh, you can find Scotty on Instagram, Wilderness Fly Fishing at Wilderness Fly Fishing underscore. Is there an underscore in there? For Insta, Insta and Facebook, I don't know. You just search, <laughs> you'll find it. But but he's um, not hiding. You'll find yeah. him, folks. But what's exciting? We do. I have to give a quick shout out to our guide Chris, uh, who's put together our new website over the last eight months. It's been a lot of work for for Chris. It's still not out. We still haven't published it. The new, but uh, Andrew knows all about publishing your website. It's a bit daunting to go live with it. Um, but we suspect over the next two to three weeks we will go live because I'm. It just has to. Um, yeah, so you'll find it on that and on, on your website. Um, just a quick note that the first course is sold out. Yep. Uh, so that was 4th and 5th, so Thursday the 4th and 5th of May. Um, yep. So, And I'll pass these details for your website because I'm just telling you now on cool. this podcast. But we're, <laughs> so, we're, so, we're, um, so we we are going to do the 6th and 7th, which is a weekend. Magic. Um, right. Yeah, so we'll add a second, second course. So... Great news and, and yeah. an unbelievable opportunity for the listeners to sign up and do that. Uh, the, the cost and, and time, like the days, they're pretty long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're up out to sort of nine till six yep. every, daily. Um, yeah, so they're big, big days. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll cram as much as we can cram in. And then there's a bit of, you know, post-service. You know, you can contact us if you're not sure throughout the year. You know, if you're going there and you're not sure. Amazing. It's, yeah, so we, we provide that post-service um, sort of stuff, but it's, yeah, it's twelve ninety five for the two days. Yep. Um, which includes, you know, if you don't have a European nymphing rod, that can be provided, and then you'll go buy one from the shop. Depending <laughs> on the course, yeah. But um, but any gear you don't have, it's all provided unless you have your own. Um, lunch uh, is providing all, all all the gear. So yeah, and um, fantastic, yeah. mate. Yeah, Good so on you for doing that. Yeah, Peter. It looks like you really want to add something there, mate. Uh, yeah, and if you're a bit more of an introvert like me and you want a one-on-one day with Scotty or one of the other guides at Wilderness, you can do an individual guide a day. Yeah, yeah, one-on-one. And we've um, just quickly on that one, uh, we've got another guide working for us who's just made the Australian fly fishing team, which is uh, Daniel Ringer. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, so Dan, Dan's helping out. He's only going part-time because he's full-time commitments with his own job. But yeah, uh, Daniel, who, yeah, so congratulations, Daniel, on making the Australian fly fishing team. So, yeah, he's... Or oh, more importantly, the wilderness fly fishing team. I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know it's more exclusive. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're right on top of, you know, if you want to learn all that, you know, if you want to learn competition-based angling, European nymphing, um, yeah, you'll learn off the best and the current methods as well. So if you're into that stuff, yeah, we do all that. Amazing, mate. I just want to quickly say you're doing such a good job, you know, in the guiding scene and educating anglers. And so, well done. Thanks. Um, We absolutely love getting you on this podcast, mate. So keep visiting. Uh, And obviously, you know, we look forward to a beer now and a a feed. Yeah. Let's have a couple of beers. Thanks. Thanks, listeners. And uh, yeah, thanks, Andrew and the Fly Fisher. Catch you next time, guys.